nom est Romain Métanir et vous écoutez le, pop, le podcast Vous êtes sans dans le monde. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson i am once again joined by my main man calm williams we'll be looking back at minnesota united's first game back at allianz field against sporting kansas city and looking ahead to the team's upcoming game against fc dallas and frisco but first we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota federated insurance and m health fairview We really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us as we get back into playing in home markets in phase one and going into the future. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, I made dressing yesterday. I know we talked dressing and condiments, um, so I wanted to bring this up because um, uh, I my wife had prepared a salad and she brought a salad to work and I had a salad at home. Uh, but we didn't have any dressing. We don't have any dressing in the house. So I made um, bacon fat dressing, which uh, maybe the words don't all sound good together, but it was really good. And um, it was it was pretty fun. Have you had like a sort of, have you had one of the, like a salad with a warm bacon dressing and maybe a, a spinach salad perhaps? It's delicious. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds fabulous. How does one make bacon fat dressing? So here's what I did. Okay, I took I had some I had some bacon fat that I had saved from from making bacon. So I put it in a cast iron pan, uh, added a couple of cloves of garlic that were um, minced, uh, and then um, maple syrup uh, and Dijon mustard and a little apple cider vinegar and salt and pepper. And you sort of stir it up until it sort of thickens up a little bit. And it was, uh, it was tremendous. I, uh, it was, it was, it was piquant and it was, uh, it was exciting and, and, and vivacious. Uh, so, uh, I, I now feel like I should make dressing in the future. Um, my other complete side note is, uh, I had a dream last night that I was playing defensive mid for Minnesota United and scored my first goal in MLS. So, uh, it's pretty, it was, a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. You know, I just it was on the run and uh, I was headed towards goal. And I don't know who, who, which player it was, but it picked me out from the left wing. And, you know, I sort of just stumbled into it and scored. But it was uh, felt good. I got to say, I think it's probably something that people should do. It's, uh, it feels good. It's an indication of the fact that we spend way too much time thinking about defensive midfielders. Sure. <laughs> Clearly. I mean, it's one, it was one of those things where in the dream, I was like, yeah, this is a good role for me because I'm not, I have no, I have no ball handling skills really. But, uh, when I played, when I played soccer in college, just casually intramural, basically, uh, I would mostly played center back or fullback, um, and mostly kick the ball really far away from myself and tackle people. Um, but I think I'd like to think that like maybe my ceiling is a solid defensive mid, uh, as a destroyer. I like the term destroyer, first of all, uh, just you have to identify what type of a holding midfielder are you going to be? Are you going to be a distributor? Are you going to be a destroyer, a deep line playmaker? Or, or what, what would you feel as though perhaps suits you the best? You mentioned perhaps a destroyer. Why? I think destroyer works well for me. Uh, I have, um, again, not a lot of um, skill, technical skill, uh, but I have good uh, spatial awareness and I have good... Um, Reasonably good quickness for a larger dude. I am a larger dude, but I, I have good reactions. And um, 
uh, I have tenacity. Uh, I bet probably one of the only things I really bring to the table playing anything like pickup basketball or soccer or anything is just uh, a willingness to defend and get in the muck. So uh, I feel like destroyer. I'm much more on the destroyer side than of the Elia Sanchez, like, you know, distributor. Uh, uh, I'm probably not going to intercept a lot of balls, but I will take out some ankles is how I feel. So. Well, so you're telling me all this time, Steve, in those first two years where we were absolutely desperate, crying out for a holding the <laughs> We had one within our grasp in the shape of our copywriter on podcast. And why on earth did you not mention this to Adrian Heath? Because I reckon you could have got a game those first two years. <laughs> my, um, yeah, my game fitness is not there. I think I could, I think I would be good for about three minutes and 48 seconds of play, of running around and then I would fall over and die. So um, it was, it would, it, it would not be pretty. So best, best them to keep me off the, the team. Um, but, uh, I do want to talk about the possibility of a future acquisition, um, Lionel Messi to MNUFC, right? It's happening for sure. This is the, this was the buzz of Twitter yesterday. So I feel like we need to address it. Yeah. Not the Argentine I thought we were going to talk about today, but, um, <laughs> yeah, look, um, obviously he announced that he's going to leave Barcelona. It is quite frankly, the biggest news, um, not only in sport, but just across news, uh, across the entirety of the globe. I think it's what everyone's talking about. Um, every person I've spoken to overseas is talking about it. Um, I spoke to my grandmother this morning. She's talking about it. You know, it's just everyone is fully aware of of what's happening um, and, and the fact that Lionel Messi is leaving Barcelona. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's one of perhaps a handful of footballers that are so synonymous with one club and, um, you know, there's all sorts of rumours going around right now, isn't there? I don't think we're going to get anywhere near any sort of clarity for a long time yet, because the simple fact of the matter is, he's not going to be short of suitors. Um, but the one which I think does make complete sense, uh, I was completely on board with him going to someone like a Paris Saint-Germain, uh, or maybe even the, the latest Champions League winners by, uh, by Minson, that would have made sense. But um, the one that makes complete sense, and I think... Um, simply because there would be a lot of gain for him um, from an investment point of view, would be the one that I had heard earlier this morning, which was if he signs for Manchester City, he would um, earn some sort of, of stock investment through the City Football Group and, and, and would obviously look after himself um, with an eye towards the future and after football. Um, I think it would be a good move, Steve, uh, and a very selfish move from our part because he would play a few years at Manchester City and then he would play for New York City FC. Um, the other one I'd heard with regards to, to that sort of move as well is that he would actually sign a five-year deal with New York City FC but actually be loaned to Manchester City and would swap, you know, so when the Premier League is done, he'd come and play for New York City and, and vice versa. So, um, I mean, either way, simply the thought of Lionel Messi in Major League Soccer is absolutely ludicrous, but it's mouthwatering at the same time because the reason why I favour this Manchester City possibility is because I think that's probably the best way that it could probably and possibly happen. So we'll wait and see, but the simple fact of the matter is, Steve, is that arguably the greatest player of our generation um, is on the move, and I think the world is beyond intrigued to see where he goes. It's it's incredibly exciting stuff. Yeah, this um this would have to be 
I would imagine this, if, if there is a way, I don't, you know, like a lot of people, obviously the, the, the messy to MLS speculation started immediately um, and talked, there's also, in addition to the, the New York City uh, FC connection, you've heard st- stuff about Inter-Miami and David Beckham and sort of connections to those groups. There's always, you always feel like the LA Galaxy are in the mix for any signing that's just a giant signing because they're going to throw money at people. Um, I think I think rapper Lil Yachty was had a post yesterday where he told him to come to Atlanta United, um, oh. like DM'd him on Instagram or something like that. Um, it, it seems like he's probably still not going to be in MLS in the, the immediate future. Um, yeah. But uh, but it's certainly got to count up. I mean, this has got to be the biggest thing since Beckham coming to MLS. If this happens, this is bigger than Zlatan. This is this is this is bigger than that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and because the thing is, Steve, I, I don't think you can get bigger than Beckham at the moment just because of of the way that he was in, in terms of the brand Beckham. You know, everybody across the world knew him. And the, the, si- and the size uh, of MLS at that moment also. That, correct, like, correct. MLS is much bigger now. So, you know, the, the relative distance, it felt like when Beckham came to MLS, it was it was like, I mean, it would be that would be like Messi coming to MNUFC. Like it just it would feel like such a huge gap in terms of that that like the size of those relative entities, whereas MLS is bigger now. So Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember actually um, when Beckham did sign for the Galaxy, I was, I was back in England, obviously. I was 2007. I was, what, 17 years of age. And I remember um, sitting around watching um, Sky Sports News, which is essentially the UK version of, of Sports Centre, and it came up breaking that Beckham was leaving Real Madrid to head to LA Galaxy. And at the time, he was the England captain. Um, and, and I just couldn't believe it because he'd been linked with, with uh, a, a move to AC Milan. He'd been linked to, with a move to Chelsea um, and, and, you know, various other big clubs that you could imagine. David Beckham had been linked with them. And it made sense at the time because he was absolutely at his prime and his peak. So for him to go to LA Galaxy at that stage, a lot of people in England were scratching their heads saying, this is unbelievable, you know. Um, and at the time, I remember being quite annoyed um, that the fact that England captain was going to, quite frankly, and I say this with all due respect, an inferior league and, and a place he probably didn't need to go to. Um, but from a long-term perspective, now with um, my involvement in Major League Soccer, it was the best thing that ever happened to the league, Steve, because I, I would go as far as saying there are so many players that wouldn't have even considered Major League Soccer, even in that era, in 2007-8, you know, the likes of Juan Pablo Angel quickly followed. Um, and then into 2010, Thierry Henry and... Tim Cahill eventually, and, and, you know, the list of names go on. I don't think they would be here if it wasn't for Beckham. Because I think I think the league was going to grow to where it is right now, Steve, at some stage. But I think Beckham probably sped it up by about five years, just because of all the commercial sponsorship that came a part of his package and everything as well. And the amount of attention that he put on Major League Soccer was, was global. And MLS hadn't had that ever before. So, um Signing somebody like Messi would, would again do that. Um, and wouldn't it be fabulous if, you know, because like you said, uh, uh, not for a second do I think Lionel Messi's going to play in Major League Soccer in, in the next year or two. Uh, I think he's going to go to a Manchester City or a Paris Saint-Germain or someone like that. But even at the age of 35, 36, and the league has done a great job in, in evading those sort of signings over the course of the last few years. I know Zlatan was, was the big one, but you sign someone like that for a reason. The same can be said about Lionel Messi. Players like Zlatan and Messi, simple fact of the matter is, Steve, is they are still welcome with open arms 
to just about any team in the world. So the fact that that Major League Soccer is is trying to sign these types of players is, is a massive sign of intent and step forward. So I think, um, look, as I said, I expect Lionel Messi to go and sign for another big team in Europe um, and then at some stage possibly come over to Major League Soccer. But I think the best chance we have of that happening is through this whole City Football Group deal. And if that happens... Um, and he signs for Manchester City, I think the mouths in Major League Soccer will water about as vigorously as they ever have done. Yeah. Well, we already know, Cal, he looks good in sky blue, right? Uh, having played for <laughs> Argentina, obviously, uh, <laughs> in his national career. So, you know, it's a good look. It'll, it's, it's an easy transition. Um, I think that it it would be nice uh, in the sense that, um, obviously, New York is, is a... Is a um, I think you just used the word tantalizing. That's why I'm about to use it. But uh, mouthwatering, to use another of your favorites. Uh, it, it, you know, obviously, as a, as a market, New York is is huge. Um, it's a place that that players would want to come and play. Um, but obviously, there's discussion about NYCFC having a new home. Um, you know, and and that could be a huge part of that. Um, I think it's it, it's good because. Uh, I mean, I would love to see, you know, there's been talk about, I've seen stuff about Suarez to enter uh, Miami and discussions about that. Um, if we can, you know, distribute players a little bit, you know, so that we're not just like, oh, the Galaxy have signed another, you know, sort of aging superstar, but can get those guys into different markets. And I know both Miami and New York are attractive media markets. I think that's, that's good for the game. Um, and I don't have any particular animus towards NYCFC right now, so I'm 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 fine with it. I'd be much more resentful if we went to Atlanta United. So. Well, but this is the thing, though, Steve. You know, the reason why these types of players are linked with those types of teams, like you said, you know, there's a lot of them that are naturally placed in the bigger markets that are going to be more attractive to, especially individuals trying to grow their own brands. But for the rest of the pack, it's up to the owners, in my opinion, then to go and spend the money and actually make the project quite attractive. Because if you think about it, Steve, and I say this with all due respect, I, I love the Twin Cities. It's fabulous. But you have to sell the project because not a lot of people know about Minnesota. They don't know what the state has to offer. They don't understand the project here because it's not one of the more recognizable international names, whereas the likes of LA Galaxy and New York City FC are. The perfect example of this, you won't like it. I'm sure several of our listeners won't like it. But the perfect example is Atlanta United. Because when were they ever? I know they're a big market, but they weren't necessarily a sexy market. How did they become sexy? They did that because they went and spent money and they spent it in the right places. And they they became this, this oozing South American machine where they would attract players to come in and say, by the way, if you do well, we're going to send you off then to the Premier League or whatever. Miguel Almiron is, is a perfect example. And this is why Atlanta will continue to attract those types of players. You know, the fact that Atlanta signed Pity Martinez, I couldn't believe. I thought there's, there's teams across, across Europe that would take him in a heartbeat, you know, but... Um, so for me, it, it comes down to ownership. It comes down to how much do people want to invest in, in their project and in their market? Because if the more they do that, Arthur Blank is a, a classic example. The more they put into it, I think the more they get out of it. So um, I, I would say to those who, who want to start making these types of signings that they've got to 
They've got to sell the project. And the best way to sell that project is by showing investment in that project. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to Minnesota United. Let's talk about the team's first game back at Allianz Field against SKC. Um, just to begin with, uh, how, how did it go for you on the day, getting back to the stadium, settling into the broadcast spot, having a shower curtain between you and Kendra? Like, just, just give me a little snapshot of, of what it was like for you um, to call the game there in that situation. It was weird. It was really weird. Um, yeah, uh, we've said this before, Steve. Um, fans make football. They make a football club. And, and to not have them there, it was strange. It, it felt as though I was missing my left arm. You know, it was just really bizarre. But, um, you know, I mean, what I will say is is fair play and, and, and well done to the, the stadium staff and, and the crew behind the scenes for making it as safe as possible. I, I didn't at all once feel unsafe. And, and they mm. deserve tremendous credit for that. I did have a little faux pas, which was quite hilarious, and I'll share this story with you and the listener here. So um, we have these certain tiers uh, across the company and across Major League Soccer, to my knowledge. You know, if you're tier one, you're a, uh, you know, you're involved with the sporting staff, you're a player or what have you. If you're tier two, you're going to be close to the players. You may be field side, you know, you may be um, in and around the locker room or whatever, you know. And then tier three is kind of, you know, like like a you and I, like broadcast or, or you know, working in the stadium, but not necessarily close to the players which makes sense as to why you and I are, are tier three. But for a long time, it was to my understanding that I was tier two because we weren't sure what we were doing with interviews and what have you. And, and so uh, I get to the stadium and I head to the tier two uh, tent, if you will, just outside the stadium. And one of the um, stadium uh, operations crew, lovely Sam Chapman, sat me down and said, oh, I can't see you on this list, Cal, but that's okay. You know, I know you're on this list. You, you go ahead. And... Um, I, I didn't realize right there and then I got a test for COVID and I had the swab go right up the nose um, and, you know, to the point where it, I swear to you, Steve, it felt like it touched my brain. <laughs> it goes so far, you know, so it goes up both nostrils. Um, you know, uh, it, it was the most, one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever experienced. There were tears. It was a disaster. Um, but um, I then go back and, and, and I've been told to wait around because obviously if it's positive, you can't go into the stadium, quite rightly so. So I was then told to wait around. I then was found uh, uh, wandering around the edge of the stadium and I was told that actually there'd been a mistake and I was tier two, uh, I was tier three, sorry. So I didn't need to have a COVID test. Um, but I view it in a positive light in the fact that I've just had a COVID test, which came back negative. So um, there we go. I was very happy with that. So. Um, it, it took a little while to get into the stadium, as to be expected. Um, as I said, safety was the number one priority. And I thought the, the grounds crew, the stadium staff, did a wonderful job in, in making it as safe as possible. Um, Ryan Moy and his grounds crew um, staff need to be commended because the pitch is just like a silk carpet. You know, I feel like I could roll around on it for days. You know, it was just wonderful. Um, and the broadcast itself was good considering it was our first television broadcast for about five months. We, we were quite, um, quite happy with it. It took Kendra and I a little time to, to get back into a rhythm of some sort, but once we did, it was good. Um, and all uh, whilst staring at each other through a shower curtain, which was uh, bizarre, but, um, you know, uh, safety first, I guess. Yeah, it um, the pitch looks tremendous uh, for sure. I um, mostly sat outside during the game, um, outside of the press box, figuring that being outside was was a good policy generally, and taking notes there. Um, so I missed the commentary, but um, 
you know, there's taking some little pleasures, you know, like it's a a job, Um, you know, we get, we get paid to do it. There's a lot of stuff that's, that's not great about it, but that opportunity to watch live soccer in front of you, you know, just for a couple hours, I was really looking forward to it. And it was tremendous to get to watch uh, live soccer right in front of you and, and, and have the chance to uh, follow it and write it up and all of that. So I felt tremendously lucky <laughs> just to get into the stadium and it was weird they did they pumped sound in uh for the the supporters they did had some chance which i believe uh adrian heath made the specific request of the of the supporters to get that permission to do that which i thought was good um it, good of him to do and then good of them to agree to because i think it did give you know i think if you spent any time looking around it was weird but i'm sure for the players in the heat of the moment um it probably just felt good to have that soundtrack that you're used to in the background um so it was you know it was it was a good experience i'm sure it's going to get better and smoother as we go along i thought that um neither team really covered themselves in glory uh on the night sort of as evidenced by none of the three goals being totally intentional i don't think there was like an actual person who struck the ball into the net uh on purpose um on on the evening um, you know, I also thought that overall SKC and, and, and Minnesota United looks, looked pretty even. Um, it sort of felt like SKC benefited from having a little more time to recover, uh, from MLS's back, having bowed out a little earlier that they took some time to, took some time off, I believe like Minnesota United, but then had a couple of weeks of training as opposed to Minnesota United who basically had a week to sort of get back in shape. And it, you just, you just saw it. It looked a little nervy. It looked, there was a lot timing and connection issues, passes going behind guys, passes going into nobody being there. So sort of, you know, not, not overly pretty soccer, but based on having seen Minnesota United play their way into shape um, at MLS's back, I'm, you know, it's okay. You know, a two on loss for your first game back, you know, it's the first loss in the regular season. Um, just the second loss in 2020 overall. So, you know, it, it was, it was what it was to use an off sighted phrase by Adrian Heath. Yeah. I I thought it was extremely disjointed to be honest that the team didn't look like they had done in previous weeks. And, uh, look, it's just going to be, um, uh, another thing that is added to the weird list in 2020. It's just going to take time to, you know, get an element of consistency because we, you know, as you mentioned, we started the season, had a break, did the MLS back tournament, had a break. Now we're back again. You know, it, it, it's just, of course it's going to be disjointed, you know? Um, and look, Kansas City are very different from what they were in 2019 as well. This is a very astute Kansas City team as well. So, um, yeah, I think, um, first of all, before I, I talk about the game, I do want to say thank you to the supporters as well, because in terms of the, the crowd noise as well, as a commentator, it made it a lot easier for, for me and Kindred as well, because not, not very often do we look up into the stands unless there's, you know, a lulling play or whatever, you know. So whilst I'm focused on the field and I'm, I'm hearing the crowd and the chants and everything, it, 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 there wasn't that much difference, to be honest, on, during the commentary anyway. So uh, a big thank you to the fans for, for letting us use the, um, use the audio there. Um, I think um, there were several issues against Kansas City, Steve. Um, the biggest one, I thought, is that there was just zero outlets. There, there was nothing up front. Uh, I thought Amaria looked lost. Um, he, he had very little service at all. Um, and I've said this before, perhaps on this podcast, I think Amaria plays much better with a number 10 underneath him. Uh, and hopefully that will be the case uh, on a more regular basis moving forward over the next coming weeks. Um, 
I think um, I, I felt he, he looked a bit isolated, to be honest, Steve, and that's not going to do anybody any good. There was a, a lack of responsibility from him as well, I thought, especially on the defensive side of, of the ball. Amaria's role in, in that system is he needs to drop back when, when Minnesota don't have the ball and be as tight as possible on Gianluca Busio, who I thought had one of the games of his young career. Mm-hmm. Um, and not taking anything away from him because I thought he, he was fantastic. And, and he was, I know Kansas City lost against Houston last night, but again, I thought he was wonderful and hardly at fault at all. Um, there's a reason why these big European clubs are, are having a, a look at him, you know. Um, but Amaria provided absolutely zero pressure, which meant that Busio had ample time on the ball and, and um, he made things look a lot easier than they actually are. So, um, you know, I, I agree with Kindred St. Albans' assessment as well is that there wasn't enough um, there wasn't enough of a threat from out wide as well. It seemed as though the main threat was coming from the fullbacks, which, which is part of Adrian's system, but it, it can't be the main part of the system from an attacking point of view anyway. So um, I, I thought... Um, Perhaps Minnesota would have been best served playing at a 10 um, behind. Obviously, Robin Lord had had the knock, had a little bit of an injury in training, so he wasn't able to start the full game. But I just wonder what it would have looked like had, had they have played someone like a Raheem Edwards uh, or, you know, God forbid, a, a Thomas Chacon out wide, you know, and, and, and have Molino in the 10. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if they were trying to match up with Kansas City in a 4-3-3. I, I don't know. Um, but either way, it wasn't a particularly pleasant evening. I thought the, the goals, as you mentioned, sort of summed up the evening, really. It was about as meh of a game that we've, we've seen for a long time, wasn't it? You know, And the, the fact that Kinder, the first goal, he plays the ball in and, and Espinosa looked like he got a touch, but he didn't in the end. Um, and then Finlay's goal is a, a wicked deflection. Um, and the, the second Kansas City goal is, it, you know, look, it, it's really well um, worked. It's a, a fantastic build-up from Kansas City, but... Boxall has to do what he does because if he doesn't, Alan Perido is, is right behind him and, and, and would have finished anyway. So, but it just it just summed up the game really. You know, it wasn't particularly entertaining. Um, it, it wasn't a fast, free flowing game. It it wasn't a performance that either team would have been particularly delighted with, Steve. So, you know, I think from a, a Minnesota point of view, it's probably best that you just push that one aside and don't speak of it again and, and move on to FC Dallas. Yeah, the. Um... You know, we've we've talked. I think obviously the personnel has changed a lot in the last year, Cal. But um, last year, I remember talking about the the four three three versus the four two three one and the different uses for it. And it's one of those formation shifts that that Adrian Heath has gone to. It's it had success with it, especially at MLS's back. Um, I tend to feel like the four three three when it's chosen for a sort of very specific reason has worked really well, you know, like, it, like trying to shut down Nagby and our tour specifically and, and, uh, against Columbus and, um, and against San Jose, there's sort of, there's sort of a specific application of it to stop a specific thing um, that without that happening, which is sort of how it felt again against SKC. And again, I don't want to say that like it's a, it, it, some of it is rust, obviously a lot of it is just the team not having played together and stuff like that. But it, it, it didn't shut down Busio. And so because of that, then the playmaking was still coming from the, the central midfield. And then it didn't give you enough on the offensive end in terms of creativity that the, the four, two, three, one just it has a sort of idea built into it that fits with how Adrian Heath likes the game to go. And so the players have sort of been inculcated in, in it in a way that just sort of leads to more opportunities. Um, there were obviously opportunities and some things that just didn't happen. Finley had that great look right in front of goal that, that went begging. And he was, 
obviously pissed about it. Um, you know, even he was still thinking about when he came off because I saw him come and sit down and he was right below me. And he had one of those things, which is like, I've had the same feeling of like, he came off, you know, he gave the high five, he walked over, you know, he sat down. And then he just picked up his water bottle and slammed it. And I was like, he just, and he could, he, he I think he, he made this move down his, his chest being like, it was right there. Like, how did I not get that in, you know, sort of. And so, um, you know, a certain amount of frustration, which is, I think, one of Ethan's best qualities. I mean, he's a very fiery player and he plays a lot of intensity and he takes it very personally when he doesn't get things right. So, um, so, you know. Again, I think the four three three was one of those one of those decisions that in I mean I don't know obviously injuries and things like that play a role in in who you're picking for the team, um, but you know it, it hopefully going forward I don't know maybe there's a number ten on the way who knows um, mm-hmm. that you know sort of can can play some of that role so um, you know I think that to go back to a couple of other things that first Gotti kind the goal um, I thought that was a little bit of you know, Greg Ranjit Singh, who I think filled in ably overall for Tyler Miller um, overall in the game, that just sort of seemed one of those settling in moments of just a little nervy. He talked about it after the game that it sort of put him in that position where you had to, he had to make that judgment about trying to stop Espinoza, but also be concerned about the, that the ball was headed towards the net and just sort of got him caught in that space where he couldn't really uh, do anything with it. But Overall, I thought, I mean, I want to address this a little bit later. Where am I going with this? Let's save it. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about Greg Ranjitsing later. We'll talk about Tyler Miller's injury and sort of recovery there after this. Um, the other point I want to make, you talked about Robin Lud, and um, he came in and played on the right where we have not seen him uh, too much in Minnesota so far, having mostly played on the left. And I thought uh, he looked good. Uh, I thought his his shift was actually really strong uh on on the right side there um which was which was encouraging to see um i think that uh, and then positionally in terms of also similarly molino was playing on the left um and i remember this is <laughs> i don't tend to pride myself on knowing a whole lot um about soccer or making judgments about tactics uh i you know i'm i'm still feel relatively inexperienced in terms of judging these things but i did have a note at like 29 minutes in I was like, where is Molino? Like, we have not seen enough out of, after the first 10 minutes. It sort of seemed like he wasn't getting the ball. And then three minutes later, he gets the ball and makes that, <laughs> that goal happen, essentially. I was like, all right, I actually, I was right. They should have been getting, trying to find Molino. So, um, but, you, you know, talk a little bit about Robin Lud. And obviously, he's a guy who's had his, his I think he hasn't as many ups and downs as people think. I think he has generally been consistently good if not um, spectacular, and has missed some shots that he wished would have gone in. But I did think he looked rather good on the right side when he came in. Yeah, I think he's been consistently consistent. <laughs> he's been okay. He's not been spectacular. He's been fine. Um, when he came in on the right-hand side, Steve, I thought he looked comfortable because Robin Lurd is one of these wingers where he's much more comfortable playing on the inside as opposed to pushing on the outside, you know? And, and what mm-hmm. I mean by that is... If you're a winger that plays on the outside, you know, your, your natural instinct is to, to get to the byline and cross the ball. Whereas if you're playing on the inside, um, especially if you're playing on the opposing flank to what your stronger foot is. So, for example, Robin, we've all seen, is left-footed. But on that particular occasion, he was playing on the right-hand side. So the instinct then is to cut inside onto your stronger foot. Um, I thought Robin looked, looked much more comfortable there. Um, and I wonder if that's something we'll see in the future. I don't know. But... Um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I thought he offered a spark. He offered a little bit of creativity that perhaps was lacking there in the past. Um, 
I think um, what happened as well, if memory serves me correct, Jalen Lindsay, the left back for Kansas City, was a little more reserved when he was up against Ethan Finlay because he knows Finlay can get in behind. Um, whereas Robin Lurd is not one of these that will beat you for pace and, and um, break an offside trap, you know. So I think uh, Jalen Lindsay um, then opted to go forward and be a part of the attack a lot more, which from time to time meant there was a bit of space for Robin Lurd to, to operate in. So um, I thought it was a good showing from Robin. Um, look, I think he probably would have started um, had he not have received the, the bang on the leg from, I think it was Greg Ush in, in the training session. Um, he's, he's still a, look, he's a good player, Steve. I, I really like him. I think he's technically very, very good. Um, the question is, is how comfortable is he in, in the position that he's been playing, you know? And um, it's frustrating because I've seen him play for Finland on, on that left-hand side and he's been very good. Um, I've seen him play the number 10 and the number 8 on the international scene as well. I remember watching a Europa League game he was involved in for Panathinaikos uh, several years ago and, and I thought he was impressive. Uh, but he was playing in, the, in an 8 role on, on that particular mm-hmm. occasion. So, um, from a positive point of view, it, it, it is good to have a player who is so versatile that can play in certain positions. But I think it's probably now come to the stage where we have to figure out what's his strongest position and where is he best suited. Um, it's up for debate whether it is that left-hand side or not. Yeah. Um, it, let's, the last thing I want to touch on for this, um, and we've talked about it before in several games, uh, and I've, I've highlighted it. Did, um, did Minnesota have too much of the ball in this, in this game. I mean, I think that it's, it's one of these things we've discussed where they've had, they've had wins where they've had 35% of the ball. They had 58.4% of the ball. Uh, and it felt like, I don't know. I mean, some of it, again, I, I want to say that there's, there's rust to consider. There's, there's, there's the four, three, three, there's these sort of decisions about that go into uh, that, but it seemed like um, Kansas city was comfortable letting Minnesota have more of the ball um, and then forcing them to do something with it rather than trying to take the ball away and then get out on the break. And it's, it, it seemed to work overall for Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, I don't think Minnesota United moved the ball as quickly as they would have likened to, to be honest, Steve. You make a good point there. And, and look, I think as well, Kansas City were very, um, very disciplined defensively. I thought uh, Winston Reid on his MLS debut showed why for the last, what is it, seven years, he's been a part of a Premier League roster. You know, um, I, I thought he, he was flawless. I thought he was really, really good for, for, for someone who'd come in for an MLS debut after being out for, for so long with an injury. And, and the fact, Kendra and I were saying this on the commentary as well, the fact that it was um, the first time both he and Smith had played alongside each other, you were expecting a little bit of unorganisation. But in actual fact, it was the complete opposite. I thought Winston Reid was, um, was about as solid as they came and, and as I said, you know, Amaria, I thought, went, went missing completely. didn't complete the responsibilities at all. Um, but a lot of that has to do with Winston Reid not giving him an inch as well. So um, I thought it was perhaps one of the most disciplined and professional displays I've seen from Kansas City in a long time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes down to um, the fact that they perhaps now respect Minnesota a bit more than they have done in the past. I think a lot of teams would would in the past be a little more expressive and a lot more open because they knew they could get at Minnesota. Um, you know, we've said this so many times, but the, the 17 and 18 iteration of Minnesota, so many teams were doing that and pressing mm-hmm. high because they knew they could. 2018 was, uh, 2019 was a bit of an anomaly because um, obviously Minnesota had, had added several different bodies and people were, were trying to identify uh, the best way to play against them. And, and now perhaps they've discovered um, one or two ways to, to get the better of them. And when you, you are the 
um, supreme tactician that Peter Bermes is, um, you know, it takes you only 10 minutes to figure out what, what's another way of, of playing, you know. So, but the one thing I will say, Steve, in terms of, you know, from Minnesota point of view, again, we saw lots of positives because um, when Adrian made the substitutions that he did, it, it did make Minnesota a bit more direct. It did start to interrogate the Kansas City back line a little more as well. They changed to a 4-4-2 when, when both Schoenfeld and Toy came on. Um, you know, and I thought Raheem Edwards, when he came on, you know, um, gave a decent account of himself again as well. So, um, he, he, he cannot be too far away from starting a game, Raheem Edwards, because he's been good in training as well, um, from all accounts. So, I think at some stage he'll get his opportunity. But, um, yeah, look, as I said, look, for me, uh, yes, it was obviously disappointing from a Minnesota point of view. But what we have to remember is it was a good Kansas City team. And there were some decent positives as well. I thought I thought Boxtall and Aha looked good again. I thought they kept Polito relatively quiet as well. Yep. We saw Polito dropping an awful lot looking for the ball again because he wasn't getting anywhere near the, the ball. So, um, you know, and, and look, a simple fact of the matter is, is that Kansas City have invested a heck of a lot of money in that roster. And it's grown slowly over the course of the last seven or eight years. So they're a group that have been together for a long time. Um, and... Judging by that display and what we've seen in this mishmash of a season so far, I would consider Kansas City to be once again back where they belong, and that's towards the peak of the Western Conference. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's uh, let's shift to let's talk a little bit about Tyler Miller's surgery, which was announced before the game um, for a hip uh, situation that has been sort of plaguing him for a little while. Essentially, was playing hurt down at the MLS's back tournament. Um, I, I believe from what I understand, similar surgery to what Brent Coleman had sort of a, a, a long-term hip issue that he's finally getting taken care of. So not, you know, an unexpected thing based on what the team understood. Um, but obviously something that probably came as a surprise to fans, um, leaving, you know, Greg Ranjit Singh as the sort of senior goalkeeper on the, on the roster and with Dan St. Clair being recalled, uh, from USL, he still had a quarantine. So we did have the the possibility of 16-year-old Fred Emmings coming into the game, which was, I mean, I sort of wanted it to see it, but also feared it at the same time. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, Ranjit Singh's performance. Um, he obviously hadn't played uh, in about a year uh, in terms of playing actual games. Uh, I think, you know, has the, the tools to do it. He might not be of the level that we expect from Tyler Miller, but... First of all, he's got huge hands. I remember on media day, I shook his hand and I was like, you have the mitts for a goalkeeper. Um, <laughs> do we think that it's essentially Greg's job now to lose? Or is there a chance that they look at Dane St. Clair and his performance in the USL and say, we're going to give you a shot just to see what we've got right now? Right now, it's Greg's job to lose. I'm not suggesting that Dane St. Clair won't play at some stage because we have a lot of games coming up in a short period of time. Um, but right now it's Greg's position to lose because he was brought in as a strong number two. Um, I remember chatting to Adrian about him uh, when Minnesota first signed him and he had said he had spoken to James O'Connor, who, of course, was the manager of Louisville City, where Greg Ranjit Singh won the two USL titles. He was then brought to Orlando by James O'Connor. And Adrian knows James, Adrian knows James O'Connor from uh, Orlando days because James O'Connor was a player underneath Adrian Heath. So there's a connection there. And I know James O'Connor had said to Adrian, if you're thinking of taking him as a number one, yeah, you take him absolutely. But if you're taking him as a second choice, absolutely go for it. And, and 
I agree with what Adrian said a while ago, is that he's probably the best backup goalkeeper in Major League Soccer, or at the very least in the conversation. Mm-hmm. On his debut for Minnesota, I thought he was a little shaky. I thought he was a little bit nervous. But once he made one or two saves, he started to, to um, become a little more comfortable. Um, the one save that he made from, I think it was Polito, um, where he dove to the right and pushed it away, I thought that would have done his confidence the world of goods. Um, he looked comfortable with the ball at feet. Um, I think he needs a little bit of work on his distribution, which is, is fine. Um, it just essentially means Minnesota will probably have to play a little bit more from the back, which they've done before, especially when Alonso drops on the edge. That's mm-hmm. okay, um, as long as that's being identified, you know. Um, but look, I mean, Dan Sinclair's obviously done very well in the USL and, and performed admirably with San Antonio. So um, there's every reason to believe that that Dan Sinclair will push Ranjit Singh as, as hard as he possibly can because he knows he probably won't get a better opportunity of... of playing MLS minutes, you know, because the thought mm-hmm. is, is that, you know, he's what, 23? Um, I, in a perfect world, St. Clair will remain the number three goalkeeper, but will be out on loan for the next couple of years, you know, playing at USL championship level and gaining reps and valuable experience. So he will know that this is probably the best opportunity he's got in his young career right now <laughs> to play MLS minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same can be said about Gregory Ranjit Singh as well. He knows this is his best opportunity, you know, and he knows it's perhaps the opportunity that he's been waiting for for a long time. You know, he only played two games for Orlando City in, in the situation um, where their goalkeeper at the time was injured. Um, so he, he'll want to make the most of the opportunity. I, I spoke to the goalkeeping coach, Stuart Kerr, about Ranjit Singh um, a couple of uh, days ago before the game when we, we knew that Tyler Miller was going to be out and Stuart Kerr said he's about as comfortable as he can be with a number two goalkeeper. I have absolutely no problem with him, said Stuart Kerr. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a good situation right now. And, and look, the fact is here, Steve, is that Minnesota United were comfortable with the core group of goalkeepers they've got. They were comfortable enough to say to Tyler Miller, yes, you can go and get this surgery, you know? And I think that says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that... Um... I think that that last point you made is really is really key. That if they really weren't comfortable with the the the, the crop of keepers they have right now, they probably would have tried to push it off, uh, tried to deal with it in terms of treatment, um, short term treatment, uh, which obviously players will do to take care of injuries like this. But I think that they felt like, okay, you know, this is it's it's going to be a crazy season. It's better to get you right now um, and get everything fixed up so that you know going into next season will be it'll be good and we're comfortable with Greg. Uh, so. You know, I mean, I would love to see Dane St. Clair get out there. And like, as you said, I think coming up, I think starting this weekend, we end the next five games. We have like five games in 20 days or something insane like that. So, um, so there's going to be a lot of rotation, I'm sure, for the squad uh, overall. Let's um, let's shift now and talk a little bit about the uh, – I wanted to bring up the youth development program, which is uh, being announced this afternoon um, and will be uh, – so this will – You'll already know about this by the time this podcast gets out. Uh, so you'll be able to go to the website and check out information on, on, on Minnesota United's relaunched uh, youth soccer program. But I wanted to touch on it a little bit. It's something I've, I haven't been involved in creating um, the format or anything like that. But obviously, as a, as a senior editor, I've been called in to work on some of the language around it. And I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. I think that um, you know, when Minnesota United came into MLS, obviously, uh, you had to be part of the Development Academy. Um, and you know, the, we, the, the team did what it could within that format, 
um, for the last several years. And then when the announcement was made in April that the that U.S. Soccer was discontinuing the Development Academy, I think you know conversations had already been had about like what they were going to do with the format and how it was working and things like that. And it sort of provided the the real impetus to say like we're going to remake this and rethink um, how we're working on it. And a couple of the things that came up to me, I mean, there's a lot of specifics that you can go into and, and dive in, into um, about how they're how they're going to run it, but. Um, one of the things that was big for me is that, you know, the development Academy did a lot of good things for the kids who are in development Academy. I think that to a person, um, I mean, obviously the individual people might have issues with how things went, but you know, it led to the signing of Fred Emmons, the first homegrown player from Minnesota United. Um, a lot of those kids who were there developed a lot and had success with it. One of the major issues that, that, that came up to me as they were working on it is that the development Academy was just not capturing all the talent that was available out there in Minnesota. If you look at youth soccer, if people aren't familiar, there are, there are clubs that are in different sort of orbits and different, different areas. And then there are these, there are large clubs that are Latino clubs or different sort of, um, you know, diverse or minority uh, sort of oriented clubs. And they weren't getting all of that out of the way that the system was made. And so a huge part of this is to sort of capture more of that that population and ensure that every kid uh, who is in those leagues who can participate in this program can do it regardless of their you know, economic situation and that affordability is going to be a huge part of this and trying to make sure all those kids get into the academy. Um, and it will, it'll be additive to their own clubs. They're not being taken from those clubs and put into a new club where um, they're just going out and playing certain other clubs in the area. You the kids will continue to play with their youth clubs and then train with Minnesota United and Minnesota United will have representative teams that play in the MLS um, league, U15, U17, U19. And then there's also going to eventually be a U23 team, which will be part of the, uh, it'll be the reserve team essentially, um, which will sort of provide a bridge from that youth soccer part to that professional part. Um, So it's just, it's more soccer. It's more high level soccer for these kids who are, who can do it. Hopefully it raises the level of the game. You're training the best players at local clubs to be better players and go back to their local clubs and be leaders at those clubs. Um, and then bring more high level competitions into Minnesota to bring competitions, uh, you know, at, at the MLS level in terms of elite youth development, bring those, those competitions into Minnesota and have youth clubs participate in those in addition to Minnesota United. And, um, another big thing has been, uh, trying to get better integration with the first team, having more first team, uh, say in how, um, you know, the, the stuff works in, in, at the youth soccer level, um, and trying to sort of smooth out that pro player pathway so that the players who have the potential to become professionals are, are put into a system that will lead to them becoming professionals with Minnesota United. So it's, I mean, it's a lot of exciting stuff. Um, I don't know how uh, versed you have been in the stuff uh, so far. Maybe this is the first you're hearing a lot of it as I'm talking about it, Cal, but um, you know, like well, it, Youth soccer, obviously, it's a hugely important thing for clubs, and it's how they become successful. We're going to look at a team coming up called, you know, FC Dallas is a huge uh, homegrown success. So, um, it, just your your feelings on youth soccer in general? Opportunity more than anything, Steve. It really provides um, a platform for younger players, um, and that's exactly what we need in this country. The more chance to play, um, you know the. <laughs> the numbers would suggest you, you're probably going to develop more players. You know, I, I thought, you know, you're right in the sense that, you know, FC Dallas uh, and the Red Bulls are perhaps the most um, uh, significant clubs in terms of developing the young players. But I, I thought it was um, hugely significant on Friday evening when Kansas City at one stage 
their entire midfield three were homegrown players. Yeah. I thought there was something to be said about that. And they were all playing at a very good MLS level, you know. So um, it, it's something that, that has to work. It, it's something I believe in massively. It's the same all across the, the rest of the world, Steve. I, so I don't understand why it can't work in, in Minnesota. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer of, of giving youth an opportunity. In my opinion, if you're good enough, you're old enough. It doesn't matter what your age is. Um, so um, I think that's been proven across Major League Soccer. Look at Alfonso Davies, for example. Sure. You know, um, if, if you have the opportunity and you're good enough, if you grab that opportunity with both hands, um, you know, I, I don't see any negative towards it, to be honest. You know, I'm a big believer. I mean, how, how good would it be, Steve, at some stage to have 11 Minnesotans out there on the field for Minnesota United? It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? You know, that, yeah. that's the dream, really. I know Jurgen Klopp had said that about Liverpool. Said, how wonderful would it be at some stage to have 11 Liverpudlins, 11 Scousers out on the field representing Liverpool Football Club? It's the dream. Um, so... It, you know, I, I think this is a, a, another good step forward for Minnesota United. It's taken a bit too long, in my opinion, but I think it's a good step forwards. Um, and uh, like I said, it works everywhere across the world. Why can't it work here? Yeah, I think another uh, another big thing for them is to try to make us a, a program that works for Minnesota and works specifically for the soccer culture in Minnesota um, and recognizes things like, you know, the climate, the fact that you're going to do a lot of training in, in, in futsal, you're going to have yeah. to, uh, you know, get players adapted to working in small spaces, which actually translates very well to the, the full size game. You know, there's a, a lot of teams will try to compress you along the sidelines. And that's a lot of what that training in compressed spaces helps with them. Um, and then, uh, you know, just the isolation, the sort of geographical isolation. There's not other major cities right nearby the way you would have in California or the, or the East Coast or something like that. So um, it, I think it gives the, 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 the program a little more freedom to design the program specifically for this, this area. And, and hopefully that will recognize, you know, the, the particular challenges and the particular opportunities that come with, with, with the area and developing soccer here. So um, let's touch on FC Dallas, uh, again, a, a model of, of homegrown um, players uh, being important for the first team. Um, I uh, Last week, I, I kind of crapped on FC Dallas. <laughs> they have scored, they scored zero goals against Nashville and now have scored um, no goals in the last three games. Um, but, you know, I've read some counter opinions that have said that, you know, they're, they're still good. Uh, there's, there's still more to come from them. Um, but, you know, you know, we, Minnesota United is a team that has struggled to score goals at various times in, in, in its history. Um, what do you feel is the issue with, with FC Dallas in terms of offensive production? And, you know, what, what, is it, what are the possibilities for them going forward? How concerned are we about facing FC Dallas? Um, I, think, I think FC Dallas obviously pose various different problems. They, they, I know against Houston, they played with a, a back three slash back five with um, Reggie Cannon and the young lad uh, Nelson at left wing back, which which I thought was new and interesting. Um, Acosta and, and Santos in the middle are, are good players as well. Um, at the moment, again, it's it's a mixture of, of youth with a little bit of experience as well because the young lad uh, Ferreira, um, who is son of the FC Dallas legend David Ferreira, um, has, has done ever so well. Um, he's been given the opportunity under Luchi Gonzalez. Um, the, the big question mark right now for them is Franco Jara and, and what he can offer. You know, I thought in the games against Nashville, I, I thought he wasn't great at all. And, and again, look, this, this comes back to what we've said in the past about some Minnesotan players. You have to give them a little bit of time to settle in. Uh, but I think Franco Jara's come in, you know, as a, a big designated player with plenty of 
goals on his resume and the expectation is there, as it should be. But right now, I, I don't think he's been as uh, consistent as they would have wanted him to. Um, I think Minnesota can, can get the better of, of Dallas, especially if they play with the high wingbacks, Steve, with the way that Minnesota, I'm assuming again, Minnesota will either go 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, either way with emphasis on the wide or inverted wingers. Um, you would assume because if Dallas go with this, this back line again and the, the higher wingbacks, you would expect Minnesotans, uh, Minnesota's wingers to have plenty of the ball. Um, and if they are in the mood, we've seen Molino and Finlay in the past absolutely tear apart MLS back lines. So if they're in the mood and they fancy it, I, I can see that being an area where Minnesota can exploit and expose FC Dallas for sure. Yeah. Um, all I really want to say about it is I think Frank O'Hara is one of those uh, guys who could either be an Argentine soccer player or like a Chicago police detective, like Frank <laughs> O'Hara. Um, right when you said it, I was like, wait, is he Irish? No. <laughs> so I got confused for a second there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what um, Minnesota United does formation-wise. Again, the 4-3-3 works for a while at, at MLS's back again in these sort of specific instances. Didn't look as dangerous against Sporting Kansas City. Um, you know, obviously injuries play a part in how this this gets done. Molino, again, is sort of the 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 um, incumbent number 10. Um, but he did look good on the left. He did contribute on the left. Again, if Robin Lud is better in in the middle, um, do you want Lud in that in that ten role if he's if he's healthy? Um, do you want him off to the right? Do you put Molino there? Do you you know what are your options? There's a lot of different uh, choices. I, one thing that came up with Robin Lud, I was thinking of is again with if he's on the right and he likes to tuck in, that works really well with Romal Metinier because he likes to go, he likes to push forward and overlap outside. So, um, so he, it might work better for. Lud being an inverted winger on the right than on the left where Chase Gasper is 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 good but not as dangerous offensively as Ramon Metinier. Um, yes, it'll be interesting to follow. Uh, thanks for joining us for the 109th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is on Saturday, August 29th at 7.30 p.m. as the Loons head to Texas to face FC Dallas. You can watch that on Fox Sports North Plus and listen on Score North. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Venturis. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>